Good morning. I want to bring up this uh, title slide here this morning. The title of our lesson is Contentment, a Never-Ending Feast. And I'll just pull up this other introduction slide here. Contentment within the scriptures is something that we have to learn. Contentment is something that we practice and is something that is repeated. And there's three points that I want us to take a look at this morning. So I'll bring this up here. I want us to give consideration to the essence of contentment. I want us to consider the importance of contentment and then the experience of contentment. Before we get right into this this morning, I want to say that sometimes within Scripture, we can use various words that can be kind of confusing to us in our English language. And as we take a look at contentment today, I want to try and describe this to you instead of just define it. And the reason why is because we do kind of use words that are synonymous and we get those kind of mixed up, interchanged, and they don't mean exactly the same thing. And to come to understand contentment, you can't just give a definition, but rather you need to describe it. You need to come to learn it so that we can practice it and so that we can apply it. So let me give you a couple of illustrations. Thanksgiving coming up, so you can kind of see where my mind is going, thinking about food and so forth. So let's say it's Thanksgiving Day. I have a wonderful meal. I have pumpkin pie. I'm sitting on the couch, and then my wife says to me, would you like anything else? And I say, no, I'm content. Actually, a better word would be to say, I'm satisfied. Because content, in the biblical sense, doesn't really fit with that scenario. So let me give you another illustration. Let's say that there's a person that's working a low-paying job. And somewhere in the scriptures it says that I have learned to be content with whatever situation I am in. And so they just kind of say to themselves, well, the Bible says that I ought to be content, so I'm just going to stay here. Well, that's not really the biblical definition of content. That's more like complacent. So as you give consideration to contentment within the scriptures, you have to come to understand, you have to learn what it means. And then you learn it and then you practice it. And as you practice it, you repeat it. You apply it over and over in every situation. Let me give you just kind of a silly illustration. Have you ever known anybody that really likes ketchup? And so they come to learn about ketchup. They like ketchup. And so they apply ketchup on everything. They put ketchup on their french fries. They put ketchup on their chicken nuggets. They put ketchup on their hot dog. They put ketchup on their mashed potatoes. They put ketchup on their pancakes. They say everything tastes better with ketchup. And so they apply it on everything. Well, that's kind of like contentment. You come to know it. You learn it. You start to practice it, apply it. And then you repeat it over and over again. So I want to talk, first of all, about three points. The essence of contentment. The importance of contentment. And then the experience of contentment. So first of all, the essence of contentment. I'm going to give you four passages. Philippians, the fourth chapter in about verse 11. Exodus, the second chapter in about verse 21. First Timothy 6, 6, and then Hebrews 13 and verse 5. And the reason why I say that is this. 
Hebrew or in Philippians 4 and verse 11, Paul says, whatever situation that I've in, I have learned to be content. All Paul is saying in that particular statement is that he has learned to be content. He's not told us yet what contentment is. He's just saying that I have learned to be content. Now in Exodus, the second chapter, this is talking about Moses. Previous to this experience that Moses is going through in Exodus, the second chapter, Moses had grown up in Pharaoh's palace. Can you imagine all the things that he enjoyed there? But in Exodus, the second chapter, he's no longer in Pharaoh's palace. He's not in Egypt. He's now in Midian and living in the desert. And in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, and he was content to dwell with him. What he's talking about is his father-in-law. And Moses is now going to be content there. In 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, Paul writes to Timothy and he says that godliness with contentment is great gain. In Hebrews, the 13th chapter, in about verse 5, the writer says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In that particular context, it's a command. So contentment is something that is to be learned. It is something that is to be practiced. It is something that is beneficial. And it's a command. Be content. So for the Christian, for the Christian, Scripture is saying contentment is essential, it's beneficial, and it's necessary to serve God to live faithfully, and to bring glory to him. Paul learned it. Moses practiced it. Timothy was told it was beneficial. And the Hebrew writer commanded it. So the essence of contentment, let me fast forward just a little bit. Scripture is saying, the essence of contentment is we let our convictions, not our circumstances, determine our conduct. And that shows our trust in God. Let me give you an illustration from the Old Testament, Daniel, the third chapter. In Daniel, the third chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, who is king over Babylon, has decided he's going to erect this giant idol. And he is commanding everyone within his kingdom that they have to bow down and they have to pay homage to this idol. They have to worship this idol. But the problem is that there's, there's three Hebrew children that do not want to worship that idol. And when the king of Babylon, when Nebuchadnezzar finds that out, he is enraged. And they bring them to him. And he questions them about it. Are you going to bow down to them or not? And because if you're not, you're going to be cast into a fiery furnace. 
And you know how they respond to him? They said, O king, let it be known that our God can deliver us. But if he chooses not to, let it be known, O king, that we will not, we do not worship your idol. Did you hear what they said? What they were saying is they were content. God can deliver us. Or he can choose not to deliver us. That's the circumstance. But whatever the circumstance is, we are not going to let that determine our actions. Our conviction is what determines our actions. And our convictions say that we do not bow down to your idol. That's the essence of contentment. We let our convictions, not our circumstances, determine our conduct. And that shows our trust in God. Job, the 20th chapter in verse 20, that's one of the passages that we read this morning in our scripture reading. And in Job, the 20th chapter in verse 20, it says, because he knew no contentment in his belly, he will not let anything in which he delights escape him. Another translation says, because his appetite is never satisfied, he will not let anything in which he delights escape him. You know what that's saying? What that's talking about is a person who has plenty. But they see some shiny object come by and it says they're going to chase after that. He will not let anything escape him. You already have plenty. But they're going to chase after everything that all their hearts desire. One writer put it this way. He said, that type of person, they eat, but they're never full. They find water, but they're always thirsty. They're never content. They can have plenty, but they're still not content. Proverbs, the 15th chapter and verse 15. Listen to what he says. The writer says, all the days of the afflicted are evil. All the days of the afflicted. All the days of a person that is struggling. All the days of the poor. Their days are evil. What the writer is talking about is the way in which a person views those things. Things are hard. They're struggling. And every day is evil. That's the way they see it. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, things were really kind of bad and, and somebody came along and they told me, you know, cheer up. Things could be worse. And so I cheered up. And sure enough, things got worse. See, sometimes that's the way we view things. When things are going 
being difficult and we're struggling. All the days are evil. But listen to what the rest of the statement says. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. See, a merry heart suggests a positive attitude. Even in the midst of those struggles, this person can have a good attitude. How is that that he can have a good attitude in the midst of all these struggles? It's because of his convictions. Not because of his circumstances. And his convictions are based upon his knowledge. His knowledge of God and trusting in him and the relationship that he has with him. And that's what provides that inner strength. It's not based on circumstances, good or bad but on knowledge and on his relationship. Proverbs 15, chapter, verses 13 through 15, all speak of the heart. And it says the merry heart has a continual feast. Why is that? Because it's constantly nourished on that knowledge. That knowledge of God, that trusting in Him, of knowing that relationship that you have with Him. Contentment is learning it. Contentment is practicing it. Contentment is repeating it in every situation, whether good or bad. Contentment is not grown by what one does or does not have. Contentment is knowing by faith that those who seek the Lord, that this situation is precisely where and what he has for me in this moment. One writer put it this way. Learning contentment. The person asks of the Lord. What do you have for me? Even in this. Situation. That's the essence. Of contentment. Now what's the importance? Philippians chapter 4. Verses 10 through 14. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. 
Why does contentment really matter? And why does God want us to have it? Let me give you a definition that was formulated by a Christian writer after giving consideration to all these passages. They wrote it this way. Contentment is the state of being aware of who I am in Christ, of what I have in Christ, what my situation is, and not needing more, less, or anything else. I'm living by faith right now where I am in this situation, good or bad, and I'm not in need spiritually. I have everything I need. That's real close. Biblically. The definition. Aware of who you are. Your relationship with the Lord. And you'll look to Him. And serve Him. Content. Where you are. And you'll say. Help me, Lord. I'll work with this till you change it. Philippians, the fourth chapter and verse 11. Paul says, in whatever situation that I am in, I have learned to be content. Where was Paul when he penned Philippians, the fourth chapter and verse 11? Paul was in Rome and he was under house arrest and he says I've learned to be content in fact in verse 12 he says I have learned the secret it's my convictions it's not my circumstances that determine my attitude and my actions I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we've been studying the book of Acts and we'll be coming up on Acts, the 28th chapter in the next couple of weeks. And in Acts, the 28th chapter, about verses 30 and 31, Luke records for us that Paul is in Rome. He's under house arrest. And what does Luke say about that and that situation that Paul was in? It says that Paul received... All who were coming to him. And he preached the kingdom of God. Isn't that something? He was under arrest. False charges. And he's in Rome and he's been there for two years. But you know what else we need to add to that? Back when Paul was in Jerusalem in Acts, the 21st chapter, when this kind of all started and Paul went into the temple and there was this uproar and he ends up getting arrested. He was sent to Caesarea. And he was held. For two years there. 
until he finally appealed to Caesar. And then after he appealed to Caesar, and then he was sent to Rome, where he spent two more years under house arrest, four years false charges. Do you think by that time that your attitude might be affected? Four years under arrest, false charges. And yet Luke records for us in Acts, the 28th chapter, that Paul was receiving all that would come to him and he's still preaching the kingdom of God. It's his convictions, not his circumstances, that is determining his attitude and his actions. Paul worked with it. Let me read to you from Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter, and about verses 18 and 19. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18, it says, Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat, drink, and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him for this is his heritage. Some translations say because this is his lot. You ever heard that expression? Well, that's just my lot. That's my lot in life. You know, in that particular context there, that verse 18 doesn't really tell us how well off or how much or how little that particular person has. But it says, I want you to eat. I want you to drink. I want you to work. And that's your lot in life. That's what God is saying. But now look at verse 19. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, some translations say the power to enjoy it. To receive his heritage. To receive his lot in life. And rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. What's the writer of Ecclesiastes saying? Whether you're well off. Whether you have much. Or whether you have little. God is the one. Who can help you to be content. In that situation. See because the person who has little. They might look at that. They might say well this ain't fair. <laughs> Somebody else has a whole lot more than me. And what he's saying is. You can be content. This is your lot. This is what God has for you. And wants you to serve him in this situation. And if you know God, trust God, have a relationship with God. You can be content. In that situation. And on the other end of the spectrum. You may have a person who is very wealthy, but have you ever known somebody that is very wealthy, but they're never satisfied? That's what we talked about earlier from Job, the 20th chapter, and verse 20. That's that person. He has everything he could desire, but he's still not satisfied. 
And in Ecclesiastes 5, he's saying that the Lord can give you the power to enjoy that. Now you see riches for what they are. And what's really important is your trust in God and your relationship with Him. And if you have that, then you can enjoy those things. Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. Let me tell you what G.K. Chesterton wrote on one occasion in regards to true contentment. He said, true contentment is as active as agriculture. Now, you might have to stop and kind of think about that for a little bit. I had to. True contentment is as active as agriculture. Well, what all is active in agriculture? Well, when you stop and think about it, you think about, well, there's, there's soil. And it has to be tilled and it has to be worked. And you think about their seed that has to be planted. And there has to be sunshine and there has to be rain. And there needs to be a farmer that works with all that. That's all the elements that goes into agriculture. And they are worked according to the laws of nature. And then if it's done, you see what grows. Out of that. Let me give you the rest of his quote. True contentment is as active as agriculture. It is the power of getting out of any situation all there is in it. You understand what he's saying? It's the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. What all went into agriculture? There was soil and there was seed and there was rain and there was sunshine and there was someone working that soil and planting that seed. That was the, all of the elements that went into that situation and all of those working together were the power to see what would grow out of it. And he's saying spiritually, it's the same thing. What are all of the elements in that situation or in your situation? There's God. There's you. There's faith. There's spiritual laws. And if it's all applied, what will grow? What will grow out of it? See, we have to understand. And then we have to apply contentment to our situation. Sometimes people think that contentment is entirely passive. But contentment is active. 
The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 and verse 13 did not say, he did not say, I just sit back and watch and all things happen through Christ. <laughs> That's not what he said. What he said was, I can do all things through Christ. What Paul is saying is, in whatever situation I might be in, whether it's good or whether it's bad, I can maximize that moment, that situation. Because this is who I am. And this is what I've been given. And through Christ, I can make the most out of a lot or out of a little. In applying contentment to our situation, we have to distinguish between our desires, between our desires and our needs. Now, it's not wrong to have desires. It's not wrong to want our relationships to be better or to improve. It's not wrong for us to want our circumstances to improve. It's not wrong for us to want our health to improve. It's not wrong for us to want our finances to improve. It's not wrong to have desires. Did Paul want to be fed? Well, yes, he did. And he thanked the Philippians for their gift. Did he want to be free? He appealed to Caesar. In an effort that he might be set free. And most scholars would tell you that Paul was set free in Rome after two years. And traveled more and preached more, taught more until he was arrested again. He had desires to be free. It's not wrong to have desires. Did Jesus have desires? Do you remember in the garden? Matthew the 26th chapter. Father, let this cup pass from me. That was his desire. But he went on to say, but not according to my will, but your will. He went on to say in Matthew 26, about verse 42, if I must drink this cup, then thy will be done. He was content with whatever answer his father would give. Contentment just means we carry our desires to God. We wait for his answer and we stay with him. Whatever that answer might be. Contentment doesn't mean 
that you don't have desires and want things to be better. It just means you don't confuse desires with what you need to succeed spiritually. Paul learned in whatever situation that he was in to be content. That's the importance of contentment. I have what I need to succeed spiritually. The essence of contentment Lord, what do you have for me even in this moment, in this situation? What can I learn? How can I grow? How can I serve? That's content. The importance of contentment, Paul learned in whatever situation he was in to be content. That's showing trust. That's bringing glory to God. He, have er he had everything he needed to succeed, to be faithful, to serve the Lord. Paul penned these words in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the importance of contentment. But thirdly, the experience of contentment. Let me go back to the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter. This time I want to read from verse 8. Philippians 4 and verse 8. Paul says, Finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Paul will state in Philippians 4 and verse 11 that he had learned to be content. But as you take a look at that context, Paul's contentment was directly tied to those things he was thinking. The things that he allowed his mind to dwell on, to meditate on. And that's the message that he was delivering to the church at Philippi. What Paul is saying in essence is, is that contentment can be grown by what is sown. Contentment can be grown by what is sown in the mind. And what is sown in our minds? In the Christian mind? It's the Word of God. That's the seed. Luke the 8th chapter and verse 11. In the parable of the sower, and Jesus said, the sower went forth to sow the seed, and the seed was the word of God. And if it's planted and it's allowed to grow, it'll bear fruit. That's what Paul's saying. 
meditate on these things. Discontent comes by shifting the focus away from God and away from His blessings. Let me give you another Old Testament illustration from the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. You know what that word Eden means? It means delights. <laughs> they were in the Garden of Delights. One writer said, Adam and Eve were surrounded by a thousand trees of yes and only one tree of no. But just as soon as they believed that God wasn't enough and what he had provided wasn't enough, what happened? Did their lives get better? Did their circumstances get better? No. And why was that? Because Satan had convinced them that God wasn't enough. And that what he provided wasn't enough. So let me shift back to the New Testament. I want to tell you about a miracle that is recorded from Luke the ninth chapter, but actually this particular miracle is recorded by all of the gospel writers. The particular miracle that I'm talking about is when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And I'll just give you kind of a quick synopsis of what is recorded there from Luke the ninth chapter. Jesus has been out with the multitudes all day. And it's getting along towards evening. And then the twelve come to him and they tell him, Lord, send them away. They need to go into the villages where they can get something to eat. And what does Jesus say to them? Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they respond by saying, we do not have sufficient to feed this many. And so Jesus asked them, well, what do you have? And they said, all that we have is five loaves and two fish. And so Jesus tells them, you go and tell all of these people to start sitting down in groups of 50. And then you bring me those provisions. So, so they do that. They have them sit down and then they bring the five loaves, two fishes to him. And Jesus blesses them. And then they start to hand out food. And all 5,000 are fed, it says, until they are full. And then isn't it interesting that then Jesus tells them to gather up what is left over. And what does it say that they gathered up? Twelve baskets full. The twelve came to him and said, send them away. And he said, you feed them. And they say, we can't. Man can't. 
And so Jesus says, what do you have? And they say, we have five loaves and two fish. We just have a little. And then Jesus says, bring it to me. And he blesses it. And through him, everyone is fed. They gather up the fragments and 12 baskets. And what's implied? The apostles, the 5,000. Through Jesus, everyone is filled. He was sufficient. He was to meet their needs. In John 6 and verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. St. Augustine said it this way. O God, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That's the experience of contentment. Philippians 4 and verse 12, Paul said that he had learned the secret. It was something he discovered. It was something he learned. It wasn't easily visible, but it was available to anyone who was seeking. It's there, it's real, and it's strength in Christ. And so he said in Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's where Paul found his sufficiency. That's where he found his needs were met in every situation, in much and in little. There's a female Christian writer who penned these words in regards to contentment. She said, the secret of contentment is Christ in me, not me in different circumstances. That's the experience of contentment. Contentment, I believe, is more easily described than it is defined. Because it's through the scriptures that we learn it. And then we apply it and we repeat it. Contentment is not passive, it's active. And that's what Paul was saying. He learned it, he practiced it, and he repeated it in whatever situation he was in. The essence of contentment, Lord, what do you have for me even in this moment? The importance of contentment, Trusting in the Lord. We have everything we need. And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
the experience of contentment, Christ in me. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We learn it, we practice it, and then we apply it. We repeat it in whatever situation we find ourselves in. That's contentment. The essence, the importance, and the experience. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you never rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ, he can meet your spiritual needs because Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. We would encourage you to do that even this very day. If you're a child of God and you need to make your relationship right with him this day, then we're here to help you. So we extend the invitation to any and all that are here while together we stand and while we sing.